Well, hello, Lighthouse family. It's good to uh, spend a minute with you. This is Grant Combs. I'm here with Patrick Cox. How you doing, Pat? Not too bad. How are you doing? Good. We're yeah. both doing some camping with youths this week. There we are. You're going to go hang out with some high schoolers uh, from Trinity at Camp Hammer for a few days. Yep. And I'm going on the junior high camp out. <laughs> nice. Which, it is. It's awesome. I love junior hires, man. That's like the... It's you know what I always loved about junior hires is they like you can have a good conversation. They're you know they're smart. They're they're starting to think like more in a more nuanced way mm -hmm. a little yeah. bit, but also plenty of silly. Oh yeah, and uh, silly is something I'm still really into. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy silly a lot. Yep. So we both have big weeks there, and then um, and then. Stuff's going on around here. What are we highlighting? Anything? Men's breakfast is this weekend. Men's breakfast is this weekend, and the work day. The yeah, work day's on the fourteenth. Yeah, that's right. All right, good stuff. Well, um, we have Benny Cooper on the podcast this week. That we do. And do you ever see a movie where you go, "This is about this thing," but really, this is telling the story of America or whatever, like, yeah. like a Ken Burns <laughs> documentary or something, where you're like, "This is about baseball," but really, this is about like the story of America in the 20th century, and all, all of these stories, you know, all the stories of of America got told through the lens of baseball, or like Forrest Gump, where you're like, "Okay, this is about like this guy," but mm -hmm. really, this is about like. American history in the 20th century kind of thing. I, yeah. I got that same kind of feeling talking to Benny. Like, yeah, he was at the forefront as a chief of police, like learned to like, did he say he lied on the, the, about his age to get into the yeah, military? Yeah. I, at, what was he saying? Something like 60, was, like learned to drive military vehicles before, before he, <laughs> before was, he was driving civilian sure, vehicles. Yeah, exactly. And, and in Korea leading men, at like 17 something like that yeah, yeah he was in leadership positions before he should have even been legally allowed to sign up yeah, yeah that's right and he was and, in charge of people <laughs> and just like and i know like I, I i realize that i've been around for a minute or two but like korea is before my time like all i mm -hmm. know about korea is what i learned watching the show mash you know yeah. <laughs> and which by the way was pretty good um but uh but but just listening to benny talk about um, you know, really the story of seaside, mm -hmm. like has been here for a long time and a really common story for young men who grew up around here, going to, going to war mm -hmm. and then coming back and having careers that, um, you know, were influential. And, and like you say, it, like I said, him on the police force and, and becoming the chief of police. And you think about all, I think we even mentioned like Monterey pops in their, at some point where yeah. he's around for that and he's um and i remember asking him hey okay so hate ashbury is going on yeah, in san yes. francisco what's and like big sur is the hippie movement is really blooming down there i i assume at least and and so what's going on as far as that here and he was like yeah we yeah. four doors going on here <laughs> and, and just those little like like uh cultural pieces that he's hmm. such a window into and and um you know, faithfully, another one of those guys faithfully walking with the Lord and like service to family, service to God, service to country. Yeah, mm -hmm. pretty good dude. Pretty good dude. That's that. That's how it's supposed to be done. So, so it's a good conversation. I like. Mm -hmm. I also, I think you'll hear it in here. I ask less questions, fewer, not fewer less. Questions. I ask fewer questions 
to Benny than I think most. It was just like he had stories to tell and he's ready to go. And, yep. <laughs> and again, another one of those great storytellers. I could listen to it all day. So hopefully we'll have him in again and finish up some of those stories. But but I hope you all really enjoy uh, spending an hour with Benny. I know we sure enjoyed spending an hour Definitely. with Benny. If you would like to be on uh, the Lighthouse podcast or Lighthouse Stories podcast, and we're not talking about whole life stories necessarily, right? Yeah, no. Like if we have somebody in their 20s, it won't be like, so what was your memory of growing up? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be, well, 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 yesterday I went to the grocery store. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm still growing up. I'm not really sure. Uh, that would be my answer. I don't know. Yeah. When I get to be a grown up, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> Keep posted. <laughs> That's right. But um, but we just want to talk about uh, we want to talk with people about what's important to them, what's on mm-hmm. their heart. And um, it's a really great way just to get to know each other. So if you would like to to come in and have a conversation, we'd love to have you. Uh, until then, uh, this is Benny Cooper. Hey, Pat. Yep. Roll the music. Will do. get started uh, officially hey so we're here with benny cooper benny how you doing this morning i'm doing fine yeah good you can hear him all right yep. benny I, i've been looking forward to, to having a conversation with you because you you were the chief of police in seaside for a while yes and you have just been in seaside for a very long time and have seen it grow and change and I, I would love to hear not only stories about your life, but stories about Seaside. Like, <laughs> like I, and I feel like, don't you feel like Seaside is a particular place? Like, it's not Monterey. Yeah. It's not Marina. It's not Salinas. It's its own. They used to call it East Monterey. <laughs> like, really? That's what it, yeah, they, they used call, to call it, it East Monterey. Monterey. Wow. Yeah. But, uh, and you were saying it, but you've been here longer than Seaside's actually been a city. Yeah. Uh, we, well, we moved here in 1946. Uh, when you say we, who was that? Uh, uh, my mother and my sister and uh, my brother John. Okay. And um, we moved here in 1946. And the reason for that is because John's father was a career man in the Army. All right. And so he was here at Fort Ord just right after the war. The war being World War II. World War II. Yeah. So uh, we first moved here, we, we lived in Monterey for mm-hmm. about... Uh, uh, I guess about a year, and mm-hmm. then we moved over to uh, what is now Seaside and Sand City. Uh, okay. Okay. And uh, then my mother uh, bought a house right up the street here in 1950. Mm-hmm. So uh, what is, it's now San Lucas. It used to be Pacific Street, but San Lucas now. It changed uh, names. Uh, in 1957, they changed. A lot of street names in Seaside because they they were they had the same names as Monterey or Pacific Grove did, ah. so they wouldn't change a lot of the street names, so that uh, there wouldn't be any confusion. Yeah. So the less the better. Yeah. So consequently, they did that, and then we had um, like uh, Oak Street became Trinity and huh. you know, stuff like that, uh-huh. and uh, like. San Lucas used to be Pacific, and All right. the major ones like Helby and Kimball, they stayed the same they because the same. they were Broadway's always yeah. been Broadway. Yeah, yeah. Broadway. until it became Obama way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, it's still Broadway. Still, it's both. Yes, yeah, the signs are both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, anyway, nineteen. 
when we first came here, uh, some people, uh, Okies lived across uh-huh. the street from us, uh-huh. uh, over on Ramona Street in Monterey, and uh, uh, they had a son the same age I I am, uh-huh. and uh, they invited me to go to church with them. Hmm. So I used to, went to church with them, and uh, that's uh, and that was the original church that we have here. That was First Southern Baptist Seaside that was over, like, where is that? Over by DMV? Uh, Before that. Before that. Okay. Um, When we went, uh, it used to be up on Luzerne Street, 1600 block of Luzerne Street. Okay. That's on the other side of Broadway. Uh Uh, It was a shotgun, little shotgun place, Uh building, and... uh, uh, Later they turned it into a, I think, a two-bedroom house. Okay. After that, yeah. But um, they had that, and they <laughs> there was a a lot right next to it, and that lot they had a, a wood platform there and one of those uh, army squad tents. Yeah. And we had it sectioned off with wires and 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 sheets, and that was the classrooms. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Either that or in a car. You'd have Sunday school in a car. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, that was and that was in um, nineteen forty-seven. Okay, and uh, how old are you at this point? I was eleven. Okay, and um, that summer, um, vacation Bible school, I was saved, huh. and um, I got baptized in a ho- horse trough. <laughs> They're on the property, or no? Some, no. But what what was the the, the first church over in, in uh, uh, Salinas, which was was that on uh, San Gordon? But um, they had an outdoor cement tank about <laughs> four feet high. And you yeah. had to climb in it, and cold. Yeah, and uh, that was that's where everybody got baptized. It was right. around here at that time, and um, just a spigot going into it. Yeah. 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 That, that was it. No yep. heated pool. No heated pool. <laughs> <laughs> and that was uh, uh that's is that's now Valley Baptist Church over there. They're downtown now. Okay. Yeah, so, but they sold that to I think a Mexican congregation. Okay. The old place. Yeah. But uh, then um after that nineteen fifty uh, they started building the building down in Sonoma. Sonoma, there you go. Okay. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a basement there. There's two levels, the basement. And it was built, and they built the bottom first and put board over the top, and then they had to pick and put some tarp over there because it had services downstairs, and it <laughs> rained. It could come through the cracks. But uh, it's, a, it's, it's like a... You know, going to church in a nice pool, bring your floaties and. <laughs> but yeah, so anyhow, after after that, uh, uh, and I got finished, and, and I went and uh, I fudged about my age, and I went in the army. <laughs> okay. Nineteen fifty-one, when I was 15. fifteen. Fifteen. Fifteen years old. What made you decide to do that at fifteen? Well, it's Korean War's on. I thought I was going to miss my war. Okay, you wanted to go fight a war. Yeah, so yeah. That, that was it. So what made you? What? Yeah. Just, okay, so patriotism, <laughs> just like your. Uh, and 
a little bit being stupid too. <laughs> well, ain't nothing but, uh, wrong with a little stupid. But, yeah. Um, but, and what happened? It was the uh, three of my friends did the same thing. All at fifteen? Yeah. Well, fifteen or sixteen, and um, uh, there was there was the, um, two of us went in the army, one went in the air force, and one went in the navy. Okay. And uh, uh, I happily I can say I'm the only one that really turned out to be anything because everybody else wound up uh, uh, having troubles. Uh, well, 15's a little young for the, for war. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so how does that happen? You walk into the recruiter, and he goes, "You look 15," no. and you go, "Nah, I'm 18." And he goes, "Okay, sign no. here." Well, no, I'm a little, a little bit more. Uh, creative than that. Okay. <laughs> I went and I went to the draft board and registered for the draft. Ah. And put down I was eighteen. Okay. So all my all my military records say I'm, I'm I was born in thirty three, not thirty six. I see. Okay. But uh, so when when I went to the recruiter office, here here's my there's a draft card. Draft card. That's the identification I needed. Mm-hmm. And uh, after I went to Korea, I, I took my basic training in Hawaii. So, time out. You were in the army before you could drive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Learned driving army. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, so yeah, you went to basic training uh, in, in, in Hawaii, yeah. and uh, that was to get me closer to Korea. So uh -huh. then uh, uh, in July of, um, that was in March of 51, and, and in July uh, I went to Korea. Mm. And I was fortunate I didn't have to spend the full nine months because I got credit for the time I was in Hawaii because I was mm. overseas at that oh, time. I see. Ah. <laughs> there wasn't a state then. That was you the, were in Hawaii before Hawaii was a state. Yeah. And uh, uh, so when uh, I was in Korea uh, in uh, a combat unit, and uh, that's, that's some other stories, but... Uh, yeah. Um, well, tell all of them you feel comfortable telling. <laughs> well, <laughs> we can always edit it later. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, um, and then uh, uh, my division, yeah, uh, I was in the 24th Infantry Division, and my division uh, was pulled out of Korea because they were the first unit that went to Korea oh. in 1950. They were in Japan. And uh, 24th Division, the 1st Cab Division, were pulled out, and the Oklahoma and California National Guard replaced us. Really? Mm -hmm. And um, so I was able to go back in February of 52 mm. uh, to Japan. Hmm. And, but, and I stayed there for So that wasn't combat, that was training and... No, just, that's just garrison duty, you know. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I have a, a occupation medal because Japan was still an occupied nation. Oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, it didn't. It didn't become. Uh, um, the treaty was signed in April 1952. Wow! So I was over there. So I got me a uh, mm -hmm. Army of Occupation medal. All right. <laughs> but uh, so uh, I was over there for a couple of years yeah. uh, in Japan. Well, in fact, I um, Got a girlfriend, and uh, I was young. A Japanese girlfriend. Yeah, All I right. was young at that time. I was going to ask if Margaret was in the picture or not. No, not, she, yet, not yet. She was lo she's long. Okay, after that. <laughs> we haven't even gotten there yet. Okay. Yeah, but uh, uh, so 
uh, I, in fact, I was due to come back uh, home in, uh, uh, in July of yeah. 52, and I extended for a year and stayed another year. Okay. And so I, I came back here in July of 53, and I was stationed out here at Fort Ord on um, uh, division faculty on an instructor group. Oh, what? Well, that was a basic training unit then. Okay. Okay. Were you a drill instructor or? No, I was an instructor on, on uh, uh, mortars. Oh, wow. Uh, on four, That's uh, fun. 81 mortars and uh, 60 mortars. Okay. Um, and, and at this point, you're still, I mean, you're not 20 yet. I'm 17. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was 17. Yeah. And, which is sort of ah. interesting because uh, I was, uh, <laughs> I was, I was, I was the type of soldier when the flag's up, I soldiers when the flag was down, I was gone. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, so I, uh, I had a couple of conflicts while I was uh, in, in service in Japan, so, and I got busted a couple of times. And um, interestingly, uh, <laughs> I had um, my platoon sergeant in Japan uh, uh, became, we became good friends with the name. And he, um, uh, even though I was the PFC, busted back down to PFC, uh-huh. Uh, I was put in, I was a section leader, huh. which called for a sergeant first class position, uh-huh. but I had two squads below me. Well, I wasn't endeared by some of the other guys because <laughs> I couldn't have anybody under me that outranked me. Uh-huh. So here I am, PFC section leader, and my squad leaders of PFCs are privates uh-huh. on two squads. There's uh-huh. 18. There's, there's 19 of us there that are PFCs or less. The other section, I had squad leaders were starting first class or, uh. should, or should have been uh, section leaders. And um, had, uh, you know, each one of them had a couple of sergeants in them too. So, yeah. so, so that other section had about six sergeants in it and, and mine had none in Chess. it. Privates, and the reason for it uh, was because of my expertise, and, mm-hmm. and uh, um, so I got the job done. So, and I mean, you're really just like I think about myself from 15 to 18. Like I did a lot of grow. I didn't do enough growing, you know. <laughs> but but you're really maturing, like becoming a man uh, on foreign soil, kind of being raised by the army, and you're. Commanding officers, I mean that has to be a huge part of just the kind of guy you are. Well, um, yeah. What um, uh, when I was uh, when I went in the army, yeah. I, 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 that's why one of the reasons too I got in because I was sort of big for my age at that time. Right. I was five foot ten and I weighed one hundred and forty six pounds when I went in the army. Five ten, one forty six. When I got out of the army, a Walter weight. Uh, when I got out of the army, I was six foot tall and weighed two hundred pounds. <laughs> Cruiserweight, when I came, heavyweight. Yeah. But when I came back from Korea yeah. to Japan in nineteen fifty-two, uh, I weighed one hundred twenty-seven pounds. You, Whoa. you do not gain weight on sea rations. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Say that again. When you came back, you were six foot, yeah. one twenty-seven. No. No. 
No. Uh, I don't know how tall I was when, okay. I, uh, when I came back. That's when I came back from Korea to Japan oh, in I 1952. Okay. So you were a rail. Yeah, when I was out here, I was uh, an instructor group out here. I was, my fighting weight, I was 170 pounds. Yeah. And uh, six foot tall. And um, they used to hate me because I, uh, from the training, we'd go out to the training areas and I'd, I'd run back with them uh-huh. <laughs> and they they hated it because I just, I'd keep them running I was just well you did get a three year head start youth age <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and, uh, I, that's what happened but I missed my girlfriend in Japan so I re-enlisted huh. in uh, January of 19 did you guys write yeah and did she speak English yes how was your yeah. Japanese uh, Scotia yeah <laughs> a little yeah uh, but uh, I realized in January '54, mm-hmm. and uh, went back to Japan. But <laughs> I realized to go back to the unit I was in—that's mm. what you could do back in those days. Okay. Well, they sent me to the first cab division up on Hokkaido, the poor Camp Crawford. That's—you know anything about support? That's where they have the ice castles and stuff in the wintertime. Okay. So you know how cold it is. Yeah. Up there. And I get up there in February. Yeah. <laughs> it was cold. That was not what you signed up for. Uh, no. And, uh, and that's where I first got on skis up there, though. All right. <laughs> uh, we, we had winter maneuvers uh, on skis. Uh-huh. But uh, uh, so we were there, and then uh, the unit was transf- uh, moved from Hokkaido down to Japan, mm-hmm. uh, into Honshu, which uh, uh, was about 50 miles north of uh uh, Tokyo. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was an old uh, Japanese air, airfield. <laughs> and what they did, they built these, these uh, platoon sized like Quonset huts okay. right down in the field. Yeah. And then the hangars over there, they converted those into mess halls and administrative offices and stuff. Hmm. Uh, so, um, and anyway. Uh, and you enjoyed Japan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it, yeah. In fact, I tell you, things have been a little different. I probably would have married this girl. Mm. But the big problem was is my birth certificate. Hmm. Yeah. Was a lie. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, <laughs> that was the only truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you had to have one. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, at that time, if uh, I presented my... Yeah. At the right time, then they... Could have probably slapped me with a fraudulent enlistment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it it didn't work out. So, um, and I I came back to the states uh, in '55, uh, and I spent uh, uh, well, actually '56 in January '56. I spent the last year I was in the army at Fort Riley, Kansas, hmm. and. Um, I, I originally intended to make the career. Yeah, I was wondering. But back um, then, after the Korean War, after, after every war it happens, they start riffing people out. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they got so bad, they didn't care if you were there or not. They slice thing, oh, slice excuse, you're gone. Yeah. Okay. And um, like I had guys work for me who were World War II veterans. Mm-hmm. 
and they had like two or three kids. And if they get a ticket for running a stop sign downtown, mm. they'd lose a stripe. Mm. They couldn't afford to. They got a family. Yeah. And uh, so it, it was really chicken. And that was that way for several years until in, in the 60s. Then it went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said that's double jeopardy. Oh, is so that right? That, yeah. So you couldn't, that. if you already paid yeah, for whatever it, you did, yeah, you, you paid, paid the, the civil fine, government. You, you shouldn't don't have, have to go to. back and get punished by the military, too. Yeah. So it was long in coming. Mm. But uh, anyway, um, so I spent the last, uh, and I said, right, I, would, I had a, I had a letter in my, my personnel file, uh, uh, from a commanding general in Japan, recommended that I be promoted. Hmm. Well, that stayed in my file for two and a half years. Wow, <laughs> no promotion, because and what rank were you really, at this point? That, that I was a sergeant staff sergeant. Okay, and uh, uh, they had. Um, I went at Fort Wright of Kansas, I'm back there, and I'm in a, a position which could call for some uh, higher rank. But um, what, in the year I was there, only one first three grader was promoted. Hmm. And that guy was in regimental personnel. Had <laughs> 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 inside track. Yeah. But, uh, so I, I just said, I hey, I'm going to go go home and scratch with the chickens. And yeah. you, and you like, was Seaside the obvious, that's where I'm going well, back to? Well, I was going back to it because my yeah. folks are still living right up, right up here, right up the street here. Yeah, okay. Uh, so it was still home. Yeah, how long had you home. been away? Like, how long were you in the Army? It was almost six years. Yeah. So you start at 15, well, so you're only 21 Well, see, the thing, 22. too, when I was uh, stationed out at Fort Ord, I lived at home. Oh really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I I couldn't get separate quarters, but I got separate rations. Okay. So. Uh, so you're still a pretty young man at this point. You're 21, 22. Something I'm 20. Like that. I, I was still 20. You were still 20. Yeah. I. So I, did you I got finish high army, school somewhere along the way? I got out of the army five days after my 21st birthday. Okay. That's pretty young. Did you finish high school somewhere along the way, or? Oh, uh, that's another story. Yeah. But. Uh, uh, to get back to the other, uh, uh -huh. back to Japan. When I went to, I went back to Japan. Yeah. Again, in in early '55, uh, and they didn't have any. Uh, uh, they had master sergeants doing, filling, my slot. Okay. And I said, "Well, overloading your MOS." So, huh. um, as I said, "How would you like to go work in the PX?" Huh. I said, and uh, 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 PX snack bar. Uh, uh, I said, uh, uh, we've had some problems there, and we need an NCO. Mm. So I went, and they sent me down to interview with this ninety-day wonder. This guy, I only saw him. For, I swear, uh, he was there about six months during the time I was there, and I don't think I saw him over three times. Huh. He just yeah. huddled in the office and never yeah. saw him. Uh, so I had uh, I had twenty uh, GIs working for me. Okay, all of them, Most of them, they were all draftees. Mm. There was no no regular army, all draftees. Mm. But I had guys that were working for me that 
have been in civilian life, they were CPAs. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, had one guy from Texas who was our our, uh, um, our, our finance guy. He was the teller, a bank mm -hmm. teller from Texas, and uh, hmm. different things. And, and we had those working in the office. And I had eight guys. Eight of those people worked in the warehouse, mm -hmm. and they had about ten Koreans working for him in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. And then we had the store, and we had actually we had ninety two. Uh, civilians working for us mm. in, in the PX exchange mm. on, the, on the base. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, I was up over, put me over in the snack bar. So I'd run the snack bar plus, mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything else. But that where I was stationed most of the time. But there, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> that's uh, during during. During this time, you know, uh, I was thinking, well, I better do something after when I. So I left there and came back. That's when I came back yeah. to Fort Wright, Kansas. While I was at Fort Wright, Kansas, I got my GED. All right. A high school DG, GED, yep. and I got one one year college GED. Okay. All of the. Okay, so uh, here I'm a poor boy from Texas, got no basic education. Um, I got my GED and what have you. Uh, I don't have a high school diploma, but I have three college degrees. And <laughs> <laughs> I, when I, after I got out of service, uh, uh, I got it in, in January and I went to work on the Seaside Police Department in June of 1957. 1957. And uh, I was beat cop. At that, time, that, uh, at that time, I was 21 years old. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and they were probably. I mean, people with 21 years old with six years of military experience, it's pretty good. Yeah, well, that's, that's one of the things that helped me. Yeah. Because I had I had developed these leadership skills while I was that's in the service. Right. Yeah. Because after I had six years I was in the service, uh, five years of them, I was supervising people. Mm-hmm. And even when I, was, <laughs> when I was 16 years old, that's when I had mm -hmm. 20 people working for me. Mm-hmm. But... Um, so, after, um, uh, talking about the college, when, yeah. when I went to work on the police department in 57, uh, I sort of figured that, uh, about that time, that, you know, uh, well, I went to the Air Force Reserve, too, at that time. Hmm. I spent three years in the Air Force Reserve, but, uh, at that time, I, uh, I, I sort of got it. Uh, the picture that education was the way to get ahead in law mm, enforcement. Mm. Because, you know, I mean, uh, back in those days, all brown and no brains, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. And um, it was all, like promotion was all based on longevity almost, you know. <laughs> and mm -hmm. not, not what you knew, but who mm -hmm. you knew. Mm -hmm. uh, how long you been there. And um, I, I, I went up through the ranks pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, during this, uh, this time when uh, when I got back home in January my sister uh, and brother and I were going to church in Marina mm -hmm. and uh, so they had asked me to go in. that's where I met Margaret okay in the church in Marina and uh, the pastor there is the one that married us alright uh, that was in like February that, is that church still there yeah. yeah, that's the Marina, uh, Southern Baptist Church in Marina. Okay. 
on, oh, Car- yeah. on Carmel. On Carmel. Yeah. Uh, and the reason for that, uh, that was that church was started as a mission yeah. off of this church. Right. And uh, uh, yeah, it was started it was Margaret's cousin's hmm. husband was the, okay. was the preacher. Okay, that's how they all. That's how, that's how they all got involved back. And this was back before that was down at the first church on on uh, uh, Sonoma. Sonoma. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my father-in-law wound up being the deacon in the church, and my brother and I too. But uh, and that's when they, they bought uh, what they call them. Uh, it's like shares uh, uh, to build that church. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, so basically, financed it themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, we. Uh, we got married, and after I had a paying job, mm-hmm. <laughs> we got married first uh, of September '57. So you just you come back in January. You start going to this church you're invited to. Right then, you meet Margaret in February, and by September you're married. Yeah. All right. You are About a six months. you are a doer. <laughs> Fifteen years old. <laughs> I'm gonna go to Korea. I was 21 then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, the ripe old age. Uh, after after that, uh, uh, we went. Um, uh, we were out there for a couple of years, and uh, I don't remember why, but we we came back to the church over here. Mm-hmm. What had happened? Were you living here in Seaside? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what happened? Uh, I'm trying to think what the the uh, time frame is on this, but about fifty nine, fifty nine sixty, might have been about sixty sixty when we moved back from Marina over to the to the church on Sonoma because that's when they built this church in 1959. Here on Hilby and Wheeler. Yeah. Yeah. And the the old con- chicken ranch. And, yeah, the, con- the congregation moved from there over here. Mm-hmm. Okay. At that time, uh, um, I'm trying to think. Of, uh, at that particular time, I think, uh, I'm not sure if, I, I think, yeah, her, uh, Margaret's uh, cousin's husband, the preacher, had been out there. Uh-huh. Uh, he had been preaching, I think, up in around the Bay Area someplace, but he came back and Kept the, they kept the Started, church. Uh, they, I see. They, I see. They, they bought that church from the church here. I see. And uh, uh, that's the early 60s. Yeah. So during that particular time, I wound up doing different things in church, sending school teacher, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I was uh, the treasurer of the church and uh, a few things. And at, at that particular time, uh, we had we had three Southern Baptist churches here in Seaside. Is that right? That one, this one, and uh, Hilltop Baptist Church, which is now um, the church at Sonoma and uh, North Buena. Sonoma? New and, Hope. Oh, New Hope. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't that big then. It was just a small house. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> These are uh, getting all these other stories. Yeah, that's good. I'm making notes to circle back yeah, around, but, uh, I'm, but I'm digging it. Uh, this particular time, the guy that that uh, founded that church, uh, New Hope Church, uh-huh. uh, we had inherited that from the people who moved from there down to the church here. So we inherited that building. I see. Okay, and uh, we sold it to uh, 
this black congregation for ten thousand dollars. All right, and is that that's the church that's still there that is New Hope? Yeah, but they've added on to it all the educational building, the the old the where the sanctuary is. It's a Pastor Murray. That, that's all. That's all they had right in there. Yeah, is that uh, am I right? Is that Pastor Murray? No, no, he's over at uh, uh, Dunham. Yeah, Dunham is Dunham. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. No. <laughs> Dunham is at, at uh, Friendship. Friendship. Baptist, that's right. And Friendship used to be a Southern Baptist church. Is that right? Okay. You know, and then they they switched to New Hope. Now is. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But. Um, so anyway, yeah. Keep going. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> but uh, we got. Um, I bought my first house on. Luzerne Street. Uh-huh. Now, that's the same street the original church was on. Okay. Which was, I told you about the vacant lot. Yeah. Where they had the squad tent. Yeah. Well, right next door is the, where I bought the house. Okay. <laughs> so, and I was able to get that in 1959 uh, with the guy, uh, one of the deacons in the church, the marina, he was a contractor. Huh. And he had, uh, some soldier had, Bought the house and went back to Europe and just abandoned the house. Hmm. And so he had to foreclose on it. And he sold me the house for 8000 I didn't have a lot of money. Now, mm -hmm. you got to remember, at 1959, I had one son, mm -hmm. David. He was born in 1958. And when we bought that house, um, Mike was pregnant with Carol. Okay. She was born in 1960. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, so you bought he let me have that house for $8,000. $8,000. $6,000 a $6, first mortgage at Monterey Saving Loan. Uh -huh. And he carried $2,000 a second. Huh. So that, I, was, I was paying $60 a month on the first and $20 a month on the second. And you probably thought, how are we ever going to... Oh, well, you know, but still, it was, you know, during that, during that particular time, before that, I was working, uh, I worked the Corral Club, which was down here, a honky-tonk place. Um, I worked down there like on Friday, Saturday nights. Uh, Working the door? Bouncer for $2 an hour. All right. Hey, that was about while I was getting on the police department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good you money. Know? So anyhow, that gave me, <laughs> hey, back then, that gave me bread, milk, and gas money. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So anyway. Where uh, was that place? Where's the honky-tonk place? Uh, it's where the shopping center is down there uh, at... Um, Just a block over from Hilby. Oh, really? The, the shopping center's there. Okay. Yeah. So, um, after uh, uh, the house up there, we, I was going, I started going to, to, to school. Yeah. I, I got promoted to sergeant in 1959. Okay. Your memory is incredible. And I cannot remember dates <laughs> like this in my life. In 1959, uh, I was promoted to sergeant, and when I was, you know, I talked, you know, about this there longevity and stuff. Two, two of the other cops that had been there longer than me, they quit. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. They thought they should have got promoted. Yeah. Well, they didn't pass the test. Yeah, yeah. You know, they had a written test in the world. Yeah. It was, didn't pass. That's why, you know, my military experience really came in. Yeah. And, and you're smart. Gave I me mean, the, yeah. you know, the boost for promotion. Yeah. All right, well, during that particular time, 
uh, I started going to school hmm. uh, over at NBC. Mm-hmm. I found out that you didn't have to have a high school diploma to go to college. That's right, yeah. So I started over there, and then I had to drop out because I got uh, when I got promoted, I had to drop out. Well, because of different assignments. Mm-hmm. Well, then I, right after that, I went back, and I wound up going. I, I did. I did my two years over there in two and a half years. Okay. Working part time, mm-hmm. going to school in the daytime, working at night. Yep. Um, and uh, one uh, after that, there was nothing else education wise around here. Mm-hmm. We had no four year institutions. Yeah. The closest place was San Jose State. Mm-hmm. Well, then I started taking some courses, extension courses over in Salinas. We used to have to drive to Salinas mm-hmm. uh, and I'd go over there two nights a week, hmm. you know, take courses. So anyhow, that went on uh, during, the, during the 60s and um, they do a lot of stuff. And then they got Golden Gate opened up campus here. Yep. And when they opened up the campus, then we... I had two other guys that were, we went through, mm-hmm. we went through the whole NBC, thing. the whole yeah. place almost together. We collaborated on some projects and stuff, but um, both of those guys used to work for me. And uh, all my friends are dead now, they're mm-hmm. gone. But um, uh, after, um, after we were uh, here, we, we wound up going uh, from about 70 to 73. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a bachelor's degree. Hmm. And then uh, uh, in 75, I got my master's degree hmm. in public administration. And um, um, during that particular time, uh, 1972, I went to the FBI Academy hmm. for three months. I was at the FBI Academy, and um, I was lucky when I was at the FBI Academy. I didn't lose anything for that semester of school because some of the courses I've taken at the FBI Academy, we got accreditation. Ah, from, that's cool. We got accreditation from University yep. of Virginia. Yep. They were affiliated with the University of Virginia for matriculation. Okay. So where was the FBI Academy? Quantico. You're in Quantico. Yeah. yeah. Like the Marine Base in Quantico. Mm-hmm. And I was in the second class of that, that new campus. Oh wow. Before that, people had to live in apartments and stuff, and mm-hmm. they were down mm-hmm. in downtown Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I was in the largest class. Mm. We had 300 members of the class. Mm-hmm. That was the largest class they ever had. That was the mm-hmm. too much. And it went back to 250. Mm-hmm. So all the classes after that had been two, 250 people. Mm-hmm. Five five sections, mm-hmm. 50 people to a section. And um, we had 296 people graduate. All right. We had some of them dropped out. For so you graduated from the FBI yeah. Academy? We had some of those guys drop out. Like one was one of zero, you know, Sheiks or something, you know, big shot from, from Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got there and he, he looks around and says, uh, where's my maid? 
Ah, he did. <laughs> no mage here, baby. <laughs> you know, you got to do this. And, and man, he didn't last three days. Is that right? He didn't like that. He was on a plane home to one home. <laughs> you know, so, so anyhow, we had 296 graduated. We had 10 people who got back at that time, they had what they call a Jack Hoover Certificate of Excellence, mm -hmm. which basically straight A students. Mm -hmm. There were 10 of us. Hmm. Out of, Out two, of 296 yeah. people, 10 yeah. of us received a certificate. Wow. So, uh, and by the way, and I, I, uh, I graduated from, from uh, Golden Gate Cum Laude. Mm -hmm. uh, so so uh, did, you, did you spend any time working for the FBI? No. You, you graduated and came back to the police. Was yeah. that the plan the whole time? Pardon? Was that the plan when oh, you yeah, started the yeah, FBI? Because, you see, weren't, you the weren't FBI, angling the for FBI, a career. All these people in my class, they're all they're not FBI agents. They have their own separate. It's just FBI same, training. On the same same campus, they uh -huh. have their the regular agents. I see training, but uh, these are all law enforcement people from all over the country and all, and all over the world. Uh, all over the world. Yeah. Too. Yeah. We had we had one guy from Canada. We had one from Australia. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not sure about others, but anyhow, and we had had a guy from uh, uh, Thailand. Hmm. Uh, was here. So then you come back to I come back to say I was the police chief. Then, by the you way. were the you were the chief <laughs> okay. then. Uh, back up a little bit here. I, oh, uh, I have a lot of backing up questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, get back on my my career path. Yeah. Okay. okay. I I I, uh, I went up through the ranks pretty rapidly. I yeah. Nineteen fifty nine, police sergeant. Yeah. 1962, I was promoted lieutenant. Okay. That's when I moved. Uh, I bought a house, sold that house, and moved, bought a house on a Honda Court. All right. I, for $19,200. Mm -hmm. Well, I sold that one over there for $11,400. Okay. That's $3,000 profit. In, in yeah. In a couple of years, I got big money then. Yeah. Well, I go to get interviewed. Monterey Savings Loan. Uh, the old gal that owned Monterey Saving Loan, she interviewed about everybody mm. that got a loan. And she, she's, I go down there talking to the loan officer, and she's coming in there and says, she questioned me, said, well, uh, are you sure you'll be able to afford the payments? I said, well, <laughs> the payments are going to be $110 a month. I said, I, I've had this, uh, I, I've had a loan mm -hmm. for $8,000. Uh, and now I was paying eighty dollars a month, and now the, my payment's going to be one hundred and ten. That's only thirty dollars. And since you gave me that first loan, loan, I've got promoted. Uh -huh. You know, and my promotion was more than thirty dollars. Yeah. You know, she's, so she finally gave me. She said, oh, okay. Well, you know, I think it'd be okay. Well, well she was questioning whether I I could pay one hundred ten dollars a month house payment. Yeah. You know, that seems so foreign to me. Like, I could get online right now and get qualified for a loan that I have no business having. Yeah. Like, I could oh. never pay off that loan. Yeah. But they'll just, like, Yeah, but you know. see, this, this is a home. But she's looking you in the this, eye yeah, and checking yeah, out the cut yeah. of your jib or yeah. whatever. Yeah, she was really, she was a tough old bird. Yeah. She wasn't going to make a loan to somebody that she thought couldn't pay the loan. Nope. Yeah. Nope. And she had, in fact, my receiving loan basically built Marina. Huh. You know, and, and a lot of seaside. That's where the you know, that's the primary 
financing. Financing. They made a lot of money on it Hmm. with with the people. But anyway, after that, 62, and and then guess what? Turned around in 64, two years later, I got promoted to captain. Hmm. And uh, um, that's when we were. During that uh, that time, shortly after that, that's when we started planning the new city hall and police department down here. Where was it before that? Over at 445 Palm Avenue. On Palm. Um, it was a it was an old purity grocery store. That got converted into converted a into police a station. city hall and a police station. Huh. The the city hall. Uh, the council chambers, which is open, yep. and they chopped it up into little offices and desks around, and the uh-huh. rest of it, uh, that was the, the city hall part. Uh, and divisions. And you said that Seaside was incorporated in 57? 54. 54. So some, from 54 to, for about 10 years, it was there. Yeah. And then the place that we know now, yeah. it was built. Okay. Well, well, during that time we were planning, and so I was. That's the time I was the captain of the city board, and the chief at that time, uh, Lee Pilcher, he and his wife and Margaret and I, we went on a trip for five days down to Southern California because they during that era, they were building a lot of new police stations down in Southern huh, California. Okay, so we went down there visiting all these different police stations, and a couple of places uh, they had chiefs that he had worked with when he originally came from Salinas, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, that's how we got some of the ideas for the different things down there. In fact, I'm the guy responsible for having water fountains in all the hallways. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> because that's one of the things that, that, that I picked up down there. It said, uh, you know, it said, one, th- one thing you need to do is make sure you get some water fountains in because when we first had this plan, they didn't have any water fountains. Huh. And, and that really, you know, a lot of people, you know, Every time they go by a water fountain, they take a swig, yeah. you know. And but, when uh, you're a little bit nervous yeah. and walk around the police station, yeah. it's nice to have a water fountain so, around. Yeah. So we put one out in the lobby and yeah. one in, in, in the two big hallways. So. Yeah. And uh, so we planned it out uh, a lot, picked up ideas from different places, and, yeah. and started. it's been modified several times since hmm. then because the lobby's been cut down and uh reconfigured the record section because now it's computerized before it's sure, all sure. uh, paper stuff like that. So, so anyhow, we built that and uh, we moved in there in 1966. Was Laguna Grande Park already there? Like, were you, or did no. the park get built? The park got built. Was the lake it. there? Yeah, the lake. That's a natural lake. Across the, across the street, they don't know, Del Monte, right to, well, yep. like where, um, um, like Home Depot. Chevy's or- yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Chili's, yeah. Uh, 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 that that was an industrial place over there. It had uh, industrial buildings uh, okay. over there, contractors' places. So the, the lawn across the street and the playground, and that all came later? That came later. See, that, that lake belonged to Phil Calabrese. That lot did? Okay. No. No. The lake. <laughs> oh, the lake. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that, that belonged to Phil Calabrese. Uh and he got that through uh, Old Man Metz. You've heard of Metz Park? Metz Park, yeah. Okay. Old Man Metz developed um, Ord Terrace, which is basically from Notre Buena up to the cemetery and from yeah. LaSalle uh, over. Yeah. Uh, he gave that lake to Calabrese for his 
excavations ah, up there. Okay. Uh, you know, putting in the streets and shit. All right. So he, uh, uh, and he sold that to the, he sold that to the park district now, which we have. Uh-huh. Okay, that's how that got started. And Seaside had, had their half of it, and Monterey had the other half of it to, ah. for the maintenance of it. Okay. Is that still true? Yeah. Monterey takes care of the other yeah. side, and Seaside takes, takes care of the other side. Hmm. But it belongs to the park district. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyhow, that's, uh, that was the story of, up to that time. And uh, um, in 1968, um, my boss uh, uh, retired, or mm-hmm. took an early retirement, mm-hmm. and went to work for Marshall Field Corporation, World Book Encyclopedia. Okay. He was the uh, PR man. For encyclopedia. And he, he uh, going around the country. Well, he and another guy, the other guy that used to come by, that's how he got involved in it. Uh, he had half the country, and the other guy had the other half the country. Mm-hmm. And he had to move to, he moved to uh, Kentucky because he had to live east of the Mississippi. <laughs> uh-huh. So then he, and then he lo- relocated there to Iowa, where his wife was born. All right. So, um, he went to work for them, uh, and, and um, so did you. So what happened to? Well, he went, uh, got a good job doing that. Then I was promoted the first of September of '68 um, to acting police chief, huh. and uh, a month later, uh, said I'm sure he talked it over with the city council. Yes, it was. That uh, I see no need to uh, go outside for a chief, so your appointment is going to be permanent. And how long were you police chief? Till 1986. 1968 to 1986. Okay, so one of the like I've always wanted to hear you tell stories about this, like the whole world knows about San Francisco in the 60s and 70s. And we also like one of the biggest cultural pieces of that time is that 1968 that Monterey Pops happens and Jimi Hendrix is on the stage right here by us and all that. So how much of that kind of hippie movement and whatever all that was in San Francisco, how much of it came down here and and how much of it was part of of well, policing this area in the late 60s well, and 70s? Well, during during that time. Uh, the hippie movement didn't really affect Seaside that much. We okay. had a lot of transits here, here because they were heading for Big Sur. Ah, I right? see. And uh, so we didn't have a lot of that hippie here. Okay. Because we had the military here. And there was, oh, see, that was yeah. See, that, those all, this, all during all this time, I yeah. was the police department, uh, Fort Ord was, yeah. uh, was a training camp. Yeah. Okay. And, and so we were training troops there. So we had military there. So people in town, uh, what we had the big problems here was people, you know, uh, uh, with drugs and uh, uh-huh. prostitution. You know, uh-huh. and that, uh, that How racially out. divided was Seaside? <laughs> because one of the things that I, I want right. to be sure we get recorded is like the first couple things you and I ever went to together were NAACP yeah. things. And that's really close to your heart. Like yeah. solving racial division is yeah. is really important to you. Okay. Has it always been? And Well, back... <laughs> That's another story too. <laughs> back, we don't have to tell them all today. Yeah, well, um, 
at that time, Seaside had the largest population of, of blacks between Hunters Point in San Francisco and Watts in L.A. Okay. And we were 40% black at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, we were probably 40% black, 50% white, and 10% everything else. Yeah. Because we didn't have, at that time, we didn't have a lot of Vietnamese here, and, and but right. it was basically. Well, then Fort Ord time, still really kind of yeah. typified, yeah. like set and, the tone and for. Yeah. You know, a lot of mixed marriages and, and yep. stuff. You had a lot of black and white marriages because they sent them here to Fort Ord because they yeah. sent them to Georgia. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> didn't work back in those days. Yeah. So that's, that's part of why we had so many uh-huh. mixed marriages out here at Fort Ord uh-huh. to show up here and help. Why uh-huh. we have a lot of people here in town now. But uh, so part of, part of that story, getting you talking about the black stuff, we had, uh, you know, we had a lot of riots and stuff. Huh. I didn't tell you that the, the month before I became police chief, mm. <laughs> we had 29 fire bombings in Seaside. Wow. Yeah. You got to remember, this is when the watch riots started. Yeah. And we had 29 fire bombings in the month of of August. So am I right that like the peace and love movement of the 60s and 70s wasn't here but yeah. but the racial division yes, and yes. the violence yeah. that we think about in those times yeah. was here and uh, uh the police chief during that time was going home from a council meeting and he was uh taking the um, planning director taking him home going up broadway he got the tire shot out of the police car wow well that was it, that that was it. That, was that, already, all was of a sudden, selling leave. World Book Encyclopedia sounded like a pretty good well, plan. He was already yeah. going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> that, that really yeah. put him over the over yeah. the lines. You know? yeah. But uh, he was happy to leave. And, and uh, but uh, during that during that time when uh, uh, August, just before I took over chief, I was captain, mm-hmm. and um, I uh, I met. I don't want to get too deep in the story. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, I had a contacts with some, with some people who told us what was going on in the black community. Okay. Okay. And that uh, all these youth, you know, young adults were really mm-hmm. chewing it a bit. Angry. That's probably what they were doing. A lot of them were angry because uh, of job discrimination, everything else was going mm-hmm. on. It was, it was typical. Back in the, uh, that particular yeah. time. Well, um, the first black woman that got hired to Seaside was the uh, um, sister of uh, a black officer that uh, went up through the ranks with me and he left uh, to go to work for the government. But, uh, um, anyhow, well, this guy Lee Toller uh, was a custodian at uh, King Middle School. And he uh, he was sort of you know outreaching for the youth and stuff like that. So they put it together. They had about twenty twenty five black youths at his house in mm-hmm. his living room. And I went up there and I spent about between two and three hours talking to these guys. Mm-hmm. And I went up there and before I went up there when I left the police station, 
and now we're down in the, in the new police station. Mm -hmm. uh, I, t I took my uh, I took my gun off and holster off and, and mm -hmm. laid on my desk. Mm -hmm. What are you doing that for? Are you going to go up there without no gun? Mm -hmm. I said, listen. I said, I'm going to go up there and a group of 20, 25 black hostile youth. Mm -hmm. What do you think that six shooter is going to do? Sick, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if I pull that out, I'm committing suicide. Did you have a, how do I ask this? Did you have a heart for them? Like, did you well, did yeah. you desire for well, Seaside to not well, be divided? I, or, uh, or, or are you just trying to keep the well, peace? Well, I'm sort of, well, I'm, a little bit of both. Yeah. Because number one, trying to keep the peace, no more fire bombings. Yeah. Which accomplished that, didn't have no more fire bombings. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I, I, yeah, I could feel for, uh, because, yeah, I, I come from a, basically a poor background. Yeah. So I could, I could uh, uh, feel for them, you know, that, hey, can't get no job. Yeah, you need a job. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, treated like a yeah. class citizen and stuff like that. I could, I, you know, I could, I had a feel for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just, you know, talked to them and I agreed with a lot of their grievances that they mm -hmm. had. They had good grievances. Mm -hmm. And uh, they started uh, boycotting some of the stores and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told them, I said, hey, you have my blessings as long as you don't take and create any problem. Don't take and block entrances. Mm -hmm. You can march up down the sidewalk in front of the business all you want to. Yeah. And uh, we didn't never had any violence mm -hmm. for any of these, these type things. And uh, I bet that was really important to them that to any kind of people who feel like. Um, you know, the powers that be are out to get me to have the chief yeah. of police come down and go, hey, I'm listening, and well, here's how we... Yeah, I wasn't the chief at that time, but uh, I still have I still have old people here who know me from years still call me Sergeant Cooper. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how long, how long it's been, but uh, yeah, uh, it's, uh, I really had a, a film for it, and I, uh, uh, and since that time, um, uh, since I retired, basically, because I had, I had a lot of different, you know, we had black city councils and, and majorities and, and what have you. And uh, it, uh, uh, we never really had any, any problems like that anymore. Yeah. Then we started having the anti-war movement. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that came after the riots, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we had those, and they were picketing Ford Ord and mm. stuff like up the gate. It's mm. a type of Broadway and, mm. um, you know, that kind of stuff. But, yeah. Uh, so we had uh, a lot of that. We had some real anti-government people uh, here. Uh, and seaside, you know, trying to stir stuff up. So, that. talk to me just a little bit about leadership. Like, what makes like you've been leading since you were sixteen. You led the city through lots of lots of difficult. Like when we're yeah. thinking about like American history and from the mid '60s to the mid '80s, there's a lot of tumultuous yeah. times in there. Yeah. So, what makes a good leader? Well. Uh, I don't. It's hard to say. Mm. Um, I think uh, uh, to be a good leader, you got to have somebody that uh, um, 
that basically uh, um, is responsive to people when mm. uh, you know, and not uh, to be. Uh, one of the things my officers used to call me is that I was a benevolent dictator. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, uh, well, you know, you give them responsibility. You got to give them authority with the responsibility you give them. Hmm. And uh, one of, one of the things that uh, you know you've got to you got to be fair in dealing with your subordinates. Uh -huh. I, uh, you know, they knew that when I said something, they could take it to the bank. Mm. Uh, if uh, that, you know, I used to tell the guy when he came over, there's two things you don't do if you work for me. You don't lie to me. You don't steal from me. Mm. You know, I said everything else we can work it out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, some some of the guys, uh, most of the people uh, have no no problem with that. That's some true. people have a lot of problems mm -hmm. uh, uh, because they want to be their, do their own thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I had problems. Uh, some people back during that era, you know, want to wear long hair. Mm -hmm. I said cops don't wear long hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? and. Uh, uh, so they didn't like it. They went and went to Monterey. <laughs> yeah, well, they're welcome. <laughs> yeah, to you that. go someplace if you don't want yeah. to do it. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, uh, like I had this one lieutenant. Oh, he just called me up in the middle of the night. Oh, chief, this, this you know. I said, finally, I said, Ralph. I said, listen. If you if if you can't deal with situations like mm -hmm. this, and you've got to call me. I don't need you mm. as a lieutenant. Mm. I said, you're here to make decisions mm. when I'm not here. Mm -hmm. Not to call me up middle of the night to make your decisions. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. so, so it's important to empower people. You give people a responsibility, you also have to give them the authority. Yeah. And yeah. you have to kind of let them sink or swim on their own. If yeah. they succeed, great. If yeah. they fail, we'll do it again. Yeah, and uh, because... I guess that's the only way you can really deal with people, uh, you know, straightforward with them, you know. Yeah. And uh, they have to know where you, where you stand. Yeah. You can't be wishy-washy. You can't treat one guy one way or another guy another way. Mm -hmm. You're going to lose everybody. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I have no problems uh, uh, with most of them. You know? Yeah. They, they officers knew where I stood and, and yeah. what I would put up with and what I wouldn't put up with. Yeah. Well, you have to you have to get going pretty soon, I know, and we're uh, we're almost out of time. Can we f wrap up by talking about like let, let's talk about faith and hope? Like uh, what uh, I, I would love to if you could. I, this is a whole nother podcast, but if you could kind of think back in your life in the in the military and in the police department and think about where your faith um, was, your faith helpful was it a big part of your life um like how how did those things work together well i'll tell you uh that's one of the things i i think god was really looking out for me when i was in korea mm -hmm. i never got wounded mm. uh i've i had a lot of people around me mm -hmm. got wounded uh one one uh talk about shocking i had one uh uh, I was walking down a ravine with a guy right next to me. We call him Frenchy. He's from from Canada. <laughs> it was an old man. Mm. He's like 25 years old. old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's an old man out there. 
Okay, we go to both of them early twenties. Yeah. But uh, and uh, we had some order rounds come in, and he was on the left side and I was on the right side, and I pitched right and hit him here and tore his arm off. I mm -hmm. mean, just mm -hmm. the sinew was just holding. Yeah. And we were lucky because we were just a couple hundred yards from a aid station at that mm -hmm. time. We were going back to get pick up some ammunition. Mm. And uh, but in other times, I had this, sort of the same thing happen. You know, I've got a lot of dirt on me mm. from you know incoming rounds and stuff like that, but never got a scratch. Mm. You know, just just dirty. And I, th mm. and I think I really felt that the Lord was mm -hmm. looking out for me. Mm -hmm. um, when I was a career, you know, it's, it's hard to explain. Uh, I I wasn't really uh, afraid to die, mm. and I really didn't. I really uh, got scared a few times, but I don't. I I was sort of resigned to the fact mm. that, you know, if I'm going to if I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. If I'm not, I'm not going to make it. It's up mm -hmm. to the Lord. You know? mm -hmm. So I, I, so I never. Uh, uh, I, I just I just felt that the Lord was looking out for me throughout time. And then, was, was your faith a part of your leadership? A part of being a cop? A part of being the chief? Like, well, I think I think uh, a lot of that during the time I was a police officer and a chief, uh, uh, because uh, uh, I think a lot of the officers respected me for my my mm. religious commitment. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, they, you know. I think they all knew that I was a church goer and that mm -hmm. I was a Christian, and uh, uh, I never had any kind of remarks of any kind uh, mm -hmm. thrown at me, you know, because mm -hmm. of my religion and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think one of the things that I had uh, when uh, I was preaching, one of the things I had. A, Big desk, bigger than yours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, it just, and one of the things that was on that desk was the Bible. Mm. You know, and uh, once in a great while, somebody would mention it. Mm. Uh, not very often, but mm -hmm. uh, every once in a while. Would. But they knew it was part of you. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, it's like, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a Mason also, you know. And one of the things that, that that we talk about the Bible as Masons. We're not, Masonry is not a religion, but it's really closely associated with it because the Bible is the rule and guide of our faith. Mm. And I think that's, if if you look at the Bible as a rule and guide your faith, you're gonna treat people properly. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, you're gonna get respect from people. Mm -hmm. So That's um, good, that's good. Well, I know you have a million more stories. We'll have to come have you come back and tell a few more. But um, Benny, I'm it's uh, it's a joy to just sit and and listen to. You. I mean, you have a a very impressive story, and it's a you know you're in the middle of a life well lived. I'd love to talk more about the VFW, and uh, yeah. you're involved in so many social things. And I well we'll get to that next time. But um, you know that it's really funny. <laughs> you know I'm. I've been retired longer than I was working. Okay. You know, for the police. Uh huh. Yeah, you know, and um, uh, it's like life after death. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, and Mike and I were talking about this morning a little bit. You know, but uh, uh, but she gets 
you're upset with it. But you're always going to hear it. I said, listen, I'd rather do what I'm doing, go and be involved in meetings and go and yeah. assist things, than to sit here and become a vegetable. <laughs> but basically, that's what it is, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I've got my aches and pains, and uh, uh, you, know, you learn to live with them and sure. just keep on going. But uh, I think that's what, you know, if I wasn't active, I'd be... Dwindle pretty quick. I think I would. Yeah. I think I would. I think that's right. Uh, uh, well, you're certainly not dwindling. You mean the world to us around here, Benny, and I, I uh, yeah, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming in and talking with us. Okay. All right. So, Lighthouse family, have yourself a great day, and, uh, you know, give Benny a hug sometime. All right. Have a good day.